We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are living. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. Welcome to another episode of Life in Color with me, Nicole, Anissa, Sherry Rose, and Leanne. We're back and we're going to do a little bit of a arts as more than aesthetic <laughs> show for you today um, mm. because arts and culture is a huge part of our lives, our society, particularly as young people. It's how we express ourselves. It's how we socialize. And we're joined by Opsa. Yes. Say hi. <laughs> and Iman is here as well. Still here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to be doing a little bit of, I guess, in-depth discussion about, you know, um, Opsa's arts practice. And we have a couple of interviews as well. Yep. So we've got an interview with um, Papua New Guinea visual artist Lisa Healy. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty, and she's got some big words to say about, you know, um, the art world. Um, also, we've got an interview with Michelle Nguyen, who is a music um, mm. composer and producer. Mm. Yeah. So before we get into it, um, we were going to have a little quick um, recap because um, in the last two weeks, Angela Davis came to Melbourne and did a mm. talk and a few of us got to had the opportunity to see her so yeah um so just for people to know she's an activist and an academic who um known for black rights movement and also prison rights and particularly how they intersect and famous for the book um why um, are prisons obsolete um so something that really struck me that she said yeah during the talk was that refugee rights were the civil rights movement of the 21st century mm-hmm. and talking about how um, as actively couldn't be dependent on the electoral system and that the importance mm. of building social movements. So I was wondering, yeah, especially for Sherry Rose and Opsa, I know that you guys, but also anyone, yeah, about yeah, what their thoughts on the conferences. Are. I think um, it was very different having read someone's words and then hearing them yeah. from her in person. Um, that was the that was the highlight for me. <laughs> it was kind of because often you read something or you see images of someone's life, their activism or the way that they are, and then they present in person, and um, you may be disappointed, for lack of a better word, um, by how they present, or you may be um, yeah, it might be just be a lackluster experience mm, yeah. um, because it doesn't reflect perhaps the idea that they presented of themselves. Yeah. Um, and I found that she was just so genuine. Yeah. Not that she needs me to quantify <laughs> that or that any <laughs> or that anyone needs me um, yeah to validate that. But I just found that she was so genuine in the things that she said and the what the way that she presented, in what she presented, yeah. I mean what she spoke on. And you could see that, you know, it just wasn't a it just wasn't a like pre-rehearsed lecture talk that she was giving to whoever. It was kind of like, I'm talking, I'm discussing, I'm in conversation um, about these things that I'm passionate about and I want to bring out these messages to a very broad audience, um, a lot of young people. And I think she was really aware of the audience and really aware of the messages that she was trying to send. So um, that was, that was yeah, I guess my impression of the open yeah, talk it was quite amazing also um being there and seeing um that person in flesh she's um mm. she's lived an amazing life and she had a lot of compassion in the way she spoke and uh, mm. she really just in the way in which she spoke also in what she said but especially in the way in which she spoke she um really affected like the person that she's come to be and being in her presence it was quite amazing i, yeah. I found myself um cooing a bit yeah 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 because <laughs> you're like uh it feels more um 
connected to the actual resistance of mm. um, the global, you know, battle that it is. So um, mm. she's a giant in that way. But at the same time, she makes it known like that she's just one person. Yeah. yeah. There was there was very she very much had an onus on you know this is me this is what I'm talking yeah. about. But we together are so much yeah. more powerful than just me yeah. alone myself. And I think yeah, she, leaving that you felt really hopeful, mm. inspired, and like empowered. Absolutely. And the fact that she can make you feel that says something about her yeah. as like a yeah because she was a, like a lecturer and a teacher for a while so clearly. She, she has that kind of education. Yeah, but for me, you often do go to those things and you feel inspired and empowered. Really? And it's just a feeling. Uh, but I felt that it was far more lasting more than that. It was because there were some things in there that I'm like, I'm so glad that I went to here yeah. because I don't think I would have felt or received it the same way as if I read it somewhere. Yeah. Here we're discussing arts and culture. So we've got a guest speaker, a musician. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Just yeah. like, yeah, what kind of work you do? Yeah, um, well, I'm part of like a collective called Still Nomads, and uh, through there, I've um, over like the last few years have uh, while going to uni, delved in music, and I make uh, different kinds of instrumentals and beats, and I've um, DJed around Melbourne also. So I've um, seen what they call the scene, and um, it's quite interesting. It's a we can't wait to hear. Yeah, how yeah, interesting. interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you said that you DJ. Where do you, for my interest? Where do you DJ? Um, well, I've DJ so we in. Um, yeah, so we could go. Yeah, I'm DJing in different places at the moment. I'm I'm not uh, DJing around, but I will be like at a place in um, Melbourne Music Week. So. Oh, cool. Um, right now I'm like just collected. I'm just connected to the collective of Still Nomads. Um, yeah. Can you and tell I've us about a, Still yeah. Nomads? Yeah, it's an um, interesting collective of black people, and we pretty much have conversations similar to this, and it's talking about uh, just our experience in Melbourne being black people and um, also bringing um, myself being of African descent, um, mm. parents from East Africa. So it's quite a amazing experience in this place that is um, new to everyone that's in it, as opposed to the Native people, you know. So, mm. Absolutely. Um, and it's know. an arts collective, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so, so there's many... What are there different types of artists there? Yeah, there's visual artists, there's um, musicians, there's also spoken word artists. Um, mm. Yeah, and so out of interest, so what about music um, interests you? So you know. Yeah, so connecting to what you guys were speaking about earlier, music is a way of explaining yourself, telling your own story without um, anyone else really trying to write write the story for you. Mm. And in many ways, it's a healing. Um, tool that you can connect to yourself you know a lot of the um internalized racism is also the um doubt vulnerabilities that, that as man you have and um you then conform and become or what they call assimilate and that is a way of um coming closer to you know that connection as opposed to just sitting with your own vulnerabilities and so for me music is a beautiful tool it also brings people together you know my uh, parents um really like music also and there's native tongues that um, I speak as well. That still connects me to you know places that are far away. So. Do you dabble in other arts um, spaces, or um, are you just a musician? Would you say? Um, I write poetry. Um, mm. Yeah, so you want to hear one? I do different <laughs> things. <laughs> so do you sing um, as well? Uh, I sing, you know, by myself in my room. I haven't really shown you know, um, people. Yeah, like, um, but. So you can play mostly instrumental. Yeah, I make yeah, and I make me yeah, I make beats in that way right. and um, just enjoy the sounds. You know, I have lots of like talented friends also, and um, 
yeah, it's a beautiful way of bringing people together. I was going to say, yeah, asking more broadly to, yeah, um, anyone on the panel, kind of like what kind of music or arts means to you? Not just as like someone who creates music, mm. but someone listens. Like, do you think there's kind of, um, you know, do, do you, is that how you connect or socialise with people? Is that a way you express yourself? Do you find it kind of empowering? Yeah, I would definitely say for me, it's been a way of how to connect um, not just with myself, like individually, personally, but with the larger community that um, I've grown to identify with or um, with my roots and culture that I've grown to identify more with because I know and understand more of it through arts, through um, film, through uh, music that I've been able to, you know, take in that comes from halfway around the world. So I'm of Cameroonian, um, black African descent, and my family migrated here to Australia. And um, growing up as any third cultured or um, second generation, first generation uh, kid within a different country that is not of their home country, you do feel and you can feel at times a bit displaced. Um, I mean, that's my experience. Uh, so you can feel as if you are not as knowledgeable in your culture, in your language, and you're not as connected to those parts of yourself. But I found specifically for me, because um, I think music really speaks to me. And that's how I've been able to connect. That's how I've been able to learn things that I might not otherwise be able to speak to my parents about or... Yeah talk to them about I've been able to absorb that through music through dance through yeah arts yeah I think it is um, a beautiful way yeah of communicating and sometimes it's easier to communicate through maybe arts and culture or through yeah kind of visuals or through poetry in a way that maybe like something like dry like an article just couldn't Mm. you can like I think there's a way of transmitting kind of like emotions or like affective aspects to it yeah 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 because like the objective of art it's more than just saying a message, yeah. but you're saying a message that you would hope that would touch the senses yeah. of your audience. Mm. Like, for example, um, when you're writing music or you're writing a story or a poem, mm. like your main objective for that piece to be really impactful is that you target the emotions and that emotions that are relevant to the other people that you know for example they hear your story hear your song um, that would make sense to them and by that you make an interaction an invisible interaction and that interaction can you know it can go really far I mean if you're like an activist and you're writing a song Mm -hmm. your message would plant a seed and then this person you know Mm -hmm. maybe another day or in another life he'll be something you know he wouldn't imagine that he he would be just because of that idea of the song that you made yeah yeah definitely i wanted to ask you obsa because you did say um or touch on the fact that you know telling your story is an important part of why you do music so how does that empower you yeah um um, it has great roots um i could speak of how it's a reflection of my parents' struggle and how in mm. their time they didn't have a voice to tell their own story and so their only story was through music in many ways was mm. um, their own their only form of resistance so um, the music itself has like a powerful message of um, resilience and like um, mm. to liberate oneself even in the you know times of struggle you can mm. you can do that through your own story and what you tell yourself what life is at the end of the day so yeah. 
um, music, um, yeah, it's, it makes me um, uh, nostalgic in many ways, you yeah. know, reflective, and um, it's quite amazing. But it has brought out, you know, um, yeah. implications too when I decide to, you know, um, yeah. play at different venues and different things. Um, I could say it could be limited in that sense to uh, being in Melbourne and. Um, if I were to play what I play naturally to myself, it might um, be outside the norms of the story that is really going around. So. Mm. And it, it does empower you, right? Like, yeah. it empowers you, and if it empowers you, it affects your um, the environment that you live in. So anyway, we're going to continue our discussion about arts and culture. Um, we have an interview with Lisa Healy, who is a Melbourne-based Papua New Guinea visual artist who recently had an exhibition out in Queensland um, Gallery. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, my name is Lisa so, Healy. Yeah. I'm uh, a Melbourne-based artist. Um, I'm of Papua New Guinean and Australian heritage, and I've just completed my Master's <laughs> in Fine Arts. Being an artist is something I will be doing for the rest so of my what, life. What kind of um, artwork did you ma- do you make? Uh, so my my background is in photography cool. and uh, video, um, and most recently um, I utilize uh, tactile processes of weaving, um, yeah, or craft. Cool. I should say, yeah, within my practice. Yeah. So, um, how did you get into arts? Is it something you've been doing for a long time, or I um, made the decision to study the arts when I was about 24, so mm-hmm. quite late, late, yeah, although I realised um, as I was interested in the arts once I graduated from high school, because, okay. you know, in high school you have all those pressures about, you know, making a decision of what you're going to do we're for the do, rest yeah. of your life, and uh, I started, yeah, just by doing like a really basic arts course yeah. um, through TAFE, yeah. and I, yeah, became more and more aware of... Um, different artists and different art processes and I think I could put it down to actually seeing a particular book in my childhood oh really yeah yeah um an Australian author called Jeannie Baker yeah and she makes books mainly for children but anyone can pick them up and read them and they're this they're most intricate beautiful books of photo collage so she makes these incredible scenes and stories that are based around environmental issues, um, and then they they're photographed, yeah. and it's it's they're incre- the tactility in her books are incredible. Generally, in my practice, I draw upon my cultural background, yeah. um, cultural knowledge. Um, yeah, trying to I try to contextualize my cultural histories yeah. um, within the present. So, is that um, that cultural aspect is what drives you artistically, or what kind of things in general kind of motivate or inspire you? Um, well, at the moment, I'm really interested in material culture. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, objects that were collected historically through colonial and religious oh, yeah. impact, and that only exist in museums. So, yeah. um, there seems to be this sort of movement amongst Indigenous communities all over the world, yeah. including Australia. Um, indigenous communities that were impacted, yeah. um, you know, where they had, you know, where language was either broken down or cultural practices were broken down, objects yeah. were taken away, which actually made up, you know, very, very um, complicated and complex uh, cultural structure has been broken and yeah. fragmented. And so I like to look at things that were that have become culturally devalued and try to revive yeah. those practices and yeah. what they would look like today if yeah. they existed. 
So I did that through my research with a cultural object called a midi, yeah. which is a shell collar that only men of high status from my cultural group in Papua New Guinea could wear. Yeah. But I do like the idea of utilising material, materiality. Yeah. And yeah. by when I say that, I mean you know any sort of materials that signify um, histories or an idea yeah. or, or a particular yeah. cultural group. Um, you know, you could look at a piece of fabric that yeah. looks Japanese and you would instantly know, oh, there's a mm, reference to a Japanese culture there. Yeah. So it's, it's things like that in terms of materiality and what, what's imbued and embedded in an object. Yeah. yeah, Materiality is one way that many, many, many different cultures use to identify oh, themselves. Yeah. Like you, could look at, you could look at any, you know, I guess, uh, culture that has existed, you know, for thousands of years, who yeah. knows how long. And just by what they're wearing, you can yeah. actually tell where they're from. Yeah. But within that, within whatever it is that they're wearing or what they use to identify, like there are also there are material languages in there, and yeah. that's what I'm really interested in. Is you know, particularly in Pacific communities, we have um, what's called tapa bark cloth. Yeah. And uh, cultural groups all over the Pacific have their own specific designs. Yeah. And so you can look at a piece of bark cloth or yeah. tapa. And there will be patterns and designs in there, and they all mean and say different things. It's, it's a completely different language across the region. It's the same with tattooing processes that yeah. happen in the Pacific as well, and it's something that I've actually started doing on my body. A close friend has started a tattoo revival yeah. for Papua New Guinea women. Yeah. You know, it's old and ancient designs and patterns yeah. that have passed down through generations, yeah. and only our communities can read them. Yeah. It's not about it looking cool yeah. or, you know, wanting to kind of you know, uh, fit into a certain subculture. It's about wearing that on my skin yeah. and knowing that only other people from my community can read that. Yeah. And it's happened. You know, I was at a festival last year in Queensland. Yeah. Somebody saw the tattoos on my body, came up to me straight away and went, oh, you know. Well, one of shows before we were talking about the cultural symbolic form of clothes specifically mm. and how, yeah, it's often dismissed as kind of frivolous. But yeah. as you point, there's so much more co complexity. There to is, it. and I didn't really understand it until, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like probably halfway through my research. Mm -hmm. So on that and note, how would you, well, what do you want to see in the future as a practicing artist? Yeah, To see greater community engagement, mm -hmm. not just for exhibitions, but for ongoing all like always has to be there always has to be community engagement mm -hmm. with practices and processes and cultural protocols yeah. um, particularly with objects that are that have you know cultural taboo mm -hmm. issues yeah. um, around them because they still exist in communities in particular Melbourne's um, and I when I say Melbourne art scene I'm, I'm referring to like the major state institutions yeah. like the National Gallery of Victoria and um, you know, they're the key kind of um, institutions that actually present, you know, the big, big scale um, art exhibitions to the public. To yeah. them, you know, they're responsible as a state institution. They're very Eurocentric. Yeah. I would like to see more exhibitions that actually engage with our region directly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, look at the Pacific, you know, look at, look at Asia. Like, we're all, we're all like actually around, we're so close to Australia, so yeah. many people from our region live here yep. and as, as state institution they have that responsibility to help yeah. kind of educate and broaden, yeah. um, you know, the general uh, Victorian population of yeah. what is considered contemporary art and how it's displayed. Right. Yeah. I think the NGV has a long way to go and they need to include or create pathways yeah. for people of you know cultural diverse backgrounds to be in those spaces yeah. um, and allow them to have you know greater um, 
greater perspectives and, and voices in terms yeah. of how how things are presented, what gets presented and why. What? Because Queensland, I just had a show at Queensland Art Gallery mm. and I know that the Queensland Art Gallery engages heavily with the Asia Pacific the region. Like their flagship exhibition is the Asia Pacific mm-hmm. Triennial. Yeah. They are leading the way yeah. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. you know, representing... Um, you know, Australia, the region that Australia sits in, which yeah. is the, the Oceanic region. Yeah. Is there any art avenues in Melbourne that you think have tried to take up the space, even if it's like a smaller, lesser known? Yes, Black Dot Gallery. They um, have just reopened um, in a new venue in, yeah. in the city of Moreland in the heart of Brunswick. Yeah. They have been championing champion championing. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. They champion Indigenous yeah. and Global Indigenous Arts. Yeah. And, um, it's a safe space for all of us to go um, to to meet, to socialise, and to um, you know openly engage around dialogues that you know affect us and that interest us. Um, the things are changing, like you know, particularly within education institutions, there is a slow shift, which is great. But um, what kind of advice would you give to any easer for any maybe interested or emerging mm-hmm. young artists who might be listening? Any advice? Um, for anyone that is interested in pursuing a career in the arts, if they want to go to art school, don't expect to see yourself <laughs> represented in art histories. Yeah. Um, you've got to find it yourself, oh. and you have to you have to set up your own support network in terms of people who are in a similar situation like you in terms of getting the critical feedback that you need um it's taken that's something that's taken me a long time to realize and understand because when i first did my degree at university you know i just i got taught an art history that was not my own and i was not included in that and so people had difficulty actually trying to understand or engage with what i was exploring artistically But, you know, art has the power to um, to share many, many different stories, yeah. histories. Look at, look at um, you know, artist-run initiatives or um, less, like, local galleries. Yeah. Um, you know, or write to the NGV and actually demand, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. more Indigenous shows yeah. or shows that actually reflect our population yeah. in Australia in, in terms of cultural diversity. Like, yeah. Because they and they need to be answerable. They're a state institution. They've got yeah. to be accountable to the people of Victoria of our yeah. state. So yeah. just harass them. <laughs> <laughs> harass them. Fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I know that I said that was the last question, but mm. actual last question. Mm. Do you think there's a role? Um, arts can play a role in politics, and what kind of role do you think? Yeah, it could? good. Question. Music has played a huge role politically. Yeah. Art has too. It's it's probably a a lot more subversive it's probably in a more academic context but like if you look myself you know reviving a cultural practice and body adornment that was destroyed through colonial impact that's a political act yeah you know it may not seem that as straight away yeah yeah anything that goes against the current you know capitalist framework that we exist in is political yeah that's kind of challenging preconceptions and norms Yeah, yeah yeah exactly that was an interview with Lisa Healy. Initially, it was actually 20 minutes. I really struggled to cut it down because she just had some excellent points, as you could hear. Um, yeah, something that I found um, interesting about her talk was the way her work reimagined maybe ordinary aspects that like you might see in museums or whatnot and mm-hmm. kind of um, challenging the way you view them. Like, there's this philosopher who has this, who talks about political power as the redistribution of the sensibles, which is just a way of saying that politics 
is entwined with what is visible, what is invisible, and mm. like the way an image is displayed or evoked is p- quite political. And so a lot mm. of people think of artists just being what's beautiful, what's not. That's a good painting of a tree. That's not. But it's actually a lot more complicated. Like mm. what gets presented in the gallery, what constitutes art. Yeah. So yeah, what do you guys think of the interview? It was really. I think she touched on a couple of points, particularly in terms of, um, yeah, as a indigenous woman of Papua New Guinea descent, um, accessing and being represented in different art spaces. So whether in her class studying um, arts history or, uh, as she was saying, the actual art that she sees um, that is presented here in Australia in the region that is the Pacific region that is not really reflective of the, yeah, the region that, we are located in and I don't know what your experience would be like with that OPSA you know being and performing in different spaces as an artist here in Melbourne yeah it's quite interesting um the talk was um really nice by that artist and um places I played in uh, in Melbourne and um in other places also the demographics and the police uh people that are there are mostly white so mm. um also in the association of that um like the people that own the place and the hierarchy that that's just so there's like mm. a certain image that is um presented mm. and that needs to be um shown so in my experience i've rebelled against that personally mm. and um i've done it in interesting ways but like um, <laughs> like, um well um I, I can say at one time um I think it was like two years ago. I played like a New Year's Eve event at um, mm. a bar in Melbourne. It was right next to Yarra River. So this is like um, a really, you know, glamorous kind of place, luxurious kind of place. And so um, to see me even there, it was like a, a strong thing in itself. And um, the lady talking about adornment, you know, being black and, you know, in that nature, um, you're already adorning your own skin in the way in which you walk around in, mm. her, um, in the places that you are, you know, and to enter what you know the eyes would say is um their comfortable space was like a provoking thing and so with the music um i was playing what i listened to personally you know mm. <laughs> as opposed to um uh, and not in um you know in a provoking sense but in a, um what i genuinely like and mm-hmm. also um blending it with you know um jazz music and things like that and that's part of like um the role you play as an artist is that you also have to tend to you know the audience that is there and so um, lately I've been doing more community, you know, kind of events and um, I can see how you can say a different thing, you know, it's not from a rebelling nature as opposed to yeah. just, you know, you know. And did people just find you interesting? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I use interesting in quotation marks yeah, because yeah, yeah. I know that some art spaces can be, yes, like you said, very white and... Um, excuse me very exclusive in that sense that when you do enter them as a person of color you are viewed almost as an another interesting um like exotic thing mm, to be looked at yeah <laughs> yeah um i pretty much walked um in the art world you pretty much walk into the world of like stereotypes and um like there's a narrative that is um whatever the narrative or the norm is um in my case you know um being you know African looking you're um, associated with different kinds of music and different perceptions of who you are and even if I don't identify with them I still have to like play around them or um, even benefit from them in other cases too where you know um, 
you're seen as the cool black guy and you're seen as the person that can um, bring that kind of thing to the place, you know, and seen as like that kind of thing, you know, and it's like a um, interesting way to play that. Um, but yeah, this interaction is interesting, especially in Melbourne where, you know, there's only um, one generation of Africans and, you know, the secondary generation is only coming up now. So um we're only just becoming visible in those kind of places. So yeah. yeah, and that's why representation matters so much because you've had representation in London for quite a long time because there's mm. been many, many generations of black people. So you do see your art in quite a lot of spaces. You see yourself in a lot of spaces. Black people are very visible in the UK. There could be more and there could definitely be a lot more acceptance. However, when you look at Australia, there's whenever it is the art world really it's an incredibly white space there's no mm. representation of unless you've made it really big in the art world and I'm, I'm talking like a way way big mm. there's not really any representation for you at all and it doesn't really allow the newer generation of kids to even think oh I could get into art mm. instead they'll look at other things where there is representation so they may look at media they may look at films they may look at music where they can see the representation in American art forms really because mm. that's where we are most visible as black people in American art forms mm. but if you look at an Australian art form all you are really ever going to see whether it's Australian music or Australian physical art is white people and that's where we need to break down barriers and pretty much force your art mm. onto <laughs> these spaces really yeah. yeah i guess it's one of those things where yeah if you're um i mean not being artists ourselves generally it's different when you hear about someone like yourself Opsa, who's an actual artist because you think about these things you think yeah when i look at this it's very white or oh, i don't see yeah. art that is created by people who reflect myself and therefore it would be received and um, it would mean something different um, so yeah that's definitely something that we need to work on but there are a lot of things we discuss <laughs> <laughs> that we need to work on Hey Michelle So we're here today for a quick interview just tell us a little bit about yourself um, Well I'm 21 and I go to Monashini and I'm studying music composition Yeah I started getting in like I've been playing piano since I was really little, like four, but I've only just started. Wow, four? Yeah. Oh, you know, like Asian parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so classical piano, good student, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, I just liked making my own music towards the end of high school and one of my music teachers said that composition might be a cool thing to do. Yeah, just changed my entire career direction from medicine to music. <laughs> How did your parents feel about that one? Oh, they were like, she's never going to make money. Explain what kind of music you like listening to or you make. Um, I like listening to a lot of music. Um, I got really into glam rock, David Bowie, uh, but more recently I've been getting into electronic music, mainly glitch music, which is really fun. Like, I find it really interesting how you can play with the beat yeah. and make it sound wonky and use all these different sounds you wouldn't think of in music. Can you explain um, what glitch music exactly is to people who have no idea? Well, it still sounds like pretty normal in the scheme of things, but um, it incorporates glitchy sounds, which would be 
with the aesthetic of failure, so computer errors, like hard disk freezes, so all those clicks and scratches and scrapes and yeah. Like if you stop a CD halfway through and So what's the attraction to, um, I don't know, like the error aspect of the glitchy music? I just like the way that people experiment with sounds that aren't normally considered yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah, I find that interesting at uni and learning about music composition not only teaches you how to compose a nice song but also how to appreciate different sounds Sounds that you come across in daily life. Yeah, I really like that. So, what about music do you love? Or like, you know, why do you think you pursue music for so long? And in general, just music is such a big part of most people's lives. How does music make you feel? I think society likes music a lot because like we're a very visually based society and all of our information comes visually and not that much information comes orally so music and other organized sound just becomes interesting not necessarily for information but just for fun so when you do make music what is your sort of creative process so you currently make a lot of electronic different like my own music and my uni music for uni you need like a concept and structure and all the wanky art stuff so i'll plan it out and have ideas that mean but um my own music i'll just play around on my computer until i found a nice sound i'll just test out different synths until i find yeah follow me yeah Yeah. so why do you prefer that method then from the wanky (laughs) uni i just think the uni stuff is really inaccessible to a lot of people like i can think of the grandest um plan for my music but no one else is gonna know it unless I try and tell them yeah. how it works. I think if you focus on what it sounds like and how you feel, then that'll be translated through the music better. Well, there has been there's been quite a few articles recently written about the kind of boys club, it's particularly within electronic music. Um, why do you think that's the? I think if people who go out to gigs will always see a male DJ or a male producer, <laughs> and so it's just in your head that that's what this sound should look, look like. like. Yeah. And so people might find it odd that a female DJ would even exist yeah. and sort of just... Also, like when people talk about producing, it's all very macho and just, if you're not really masculine, you sort of don't want to get into that conversation talking about like how much compression you should use when everyone's like, oh yeah, I use this much. <laughs> Ableton's like square and Logic's like kind of smooth. Yeah. yeah. What would you like to see in the future of music? I just want to see musicians as themselves and not being labelled as a female DJ. Yeah. yeah. Like, the standard, if someone said DJ, you'd think male, and it's not until you specify female DJ or female producer that yeah. you realise that it's a woman on stage. And yeah. I just want people to be DJs, producers, yeah. performers, instrumentalists, and not really care about gender, race, yeah. If you had any advice for someone who was either interested in composing, how to get into that, or just listening, where would you recommend? There's the Make It Up Club. They go on every Tuesday night and there's a wide range of people who play there. It's mainly experimental stuff, but you get like weird rock. And you can just talk to the people afterwards because it's a really small venue and not a lot of people. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. (laughs) Um, that was Michelle talking and if you heard some weird noise effects that's actually her music <laughs> so yeah it's a bit um, yeah that's glitch music for, for you guys um, yeah. yeah so since we've got a musician I wanted yeah 
did any of that stuff resonate with you? Or? Yeah, um, <laughs> the way in which I, yeah, um, you know, they were talking about their process and um, finding synths and just finding a sound that you like. Um, uh, I really resonate with that process and also um, just the sounds in general in the background. Um, I use a lot of heart sounds and I'm, uh, I've also um, created a lot of like landscape, uh, soundscape, sorry, and um, mm-hmm. of just na- nature and different things that I come across um, during the day. So, um, yeah, it, um, it can sound real glitchy and I think that's pretty cool. So is there a real difference? I think she kind of touched on, you know, creating music like for her class in terms of and then creating music for yourself or for the audience. Um, in my own um, yeah. process. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it began, I would say, like um, a while ago for myself. Um, and then when you have friends around and they hear your things, um, they begin to like hear something and like resonate with it and ask you, you know, um, how you made that and things. And so it begins to, you know, become a communal experience, as I was saying before. And so, um, but when I approach it, especially when I'm by myself, um, also with friends, at other times is um personal experience so i mm. reflect what i'm feeling that day whether it be what i heard or um something that resonates also with the human condition um yeah. and yeah trying to draw out the senses of people you know um sounds and yeah listening is rare there's a lot of sounds or a lot of frequencies around you could say mm-hmm. so um you know. would you say that Last question. Your music is for yourself or for others? Oh. Wow. And why? Mm. If at all, either. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing question. I could say for myself, but if I was being sincere and saying um, for myself in the truest of ways, I could say that that would mean for others too if I was um, looking at it in a truthful way. Mm-hmm. Um by speaking my own truth and my own story um, in a sincere and honest way without the, you know, um, ego and braggadocio acts mm-hmm. I could um, use, then I would be speaking for mankind as well in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. One question. So towards <laughs> the end, she talked about how she wanted artists to be viewed just as artists, as instrumentalists, as composers, producers, and not as, like, you know, a woman or a man or by specific races. I was wondering um, what you thought about that because it's a it's a tricky um, line that I've heard different views from different people of colour yeah, where yeah. some people strongly identify Themselves. with their with their culture and it's a huge part of it. But also you don't want to be labelled or defined by it by that culture. Like I, I think you were touching on like being, you know, like the cool black guy. Mm. Is that do you think that helps you support to having that kind of identity or is that a hindrance because are you expected to produce a certain type of music? I just want um, It's interesting. Um, to be labelled and perceived as something before you actually meet that person, I don't think can ever be like an advantage for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't get to really um, dictate what terms in which you're perceived yeah. by. Yeah. But um, in terms of when you're, when you're benefiting from that, um, I don't really take it in the harshest of ways, but um, I'm always open to educating someone and speaking to that for myself i, I live um as a human being I, I i write my own story i guess at the beginning of my days and um in that way i can connect to you know everyone around me but you want to be it's sort of a self-identifying thing. yeah definitely and uh, music and um all kinds of art forms is a beautiful thing and 
even what you guys are doing here, life in color is um a part of that process. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, where sweet, sweet. <laughs> that's really nice. <laughs> where can we find your music, Opsa? Um yeah, on SoundCloud, uh, you can go to SoundCloud.com/ob-sa, um, and you can find some sounds there. Cool. We'll put a link up as well. For yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. So um, I guess we're wrapping up. We just like to say thank you thank to you. Iman and Obsa for joining us for our double episode special mm-hmm. edition. And that's another episode by Life in Color. Tune in next week for another discussion and join the conversation on Facebook, Life in Color, and follow us on Twitter at It's Life in Color. See you next week.